Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste. A satsang is a very sacred occasion. We gather here specifically, consciously, and determinedly to attain the direct realization of God. That is the only valid reason to attend a satsang. So I hope all of you are here for that holy reason. The satsang form is undoubtedly the oldest ongoing mode of spiritual convocation in order to attain realization of God. It goes back to the Upanishads at the least, which were actually satsang notes that were made of the statements and metaphors, aphorisms, parables of the sages. But it went on for thousands of years before the Upanishads were written on an oral basis entirely. And all later forms of religious meetings, whether in synagogues or churches or mosques, were all based on the principle of the satsang. Sat meaning supreme truth, a gathering for the purpose of realizing truth. The truth of who you are, the truth of God, the truth of the nature of reality. Gradually, as the level of consciousness of human beings fell, two separate sorts of discourses would be offered at satsangs. A discourse of duality and a discourse of non-duality. Once the ego took hold in human beings, and they fell from not only Atman consciousness, but even from soul consciousness into the ego, into the level of mind identified with the mortal body. Then 
for most beings in that condition, the only way to reach God consciousness is through love, love of God. And this is the origin of the mode of spirituality known as bhakti, or worship. And there are two kinds of bhakti. There is ordinary bhakti that is aimed at the ego at such a low and mundane level of consciousness that they cannot conceptualize a formless God or a God beyond thought, a God beyond the limitations of anthropomorphic action. And so religions began to develop modes of worshiping a god outside, in some heaven above or in some other dimension, but a god with form or a God, even if without form, but a God who would either take form occasionally or would act in such a way that the will of God would be known to all. And this worship of God became intertwined with the worship of nature because the actions of God would also be natural actions. But gradually texts would be written in various religions which would pose God as having human feelings, being angry, being happy, being willing to sacrifice humanity, being willing to create floods and slavery, but would also bring liberation, and there would be a whole set of mythologies about the works and acts of God on earth. But this all led to somewhat of an imaginarized conception of God as functioning with somewhat of a human level of intelligence regarding the earth through a telescope and deciding if it was good or evil, if it deserved to be destroyed or sustained. And other religions, once even the formless God working through acts of God, as they would be called, usually catastrophic, would need to have God in a human form, and thus an incarnation was necessary, and thus the Christian dispensation, because a human being is more likely to be worshipped, understood, related to by the human mind. And so various religions developed the mode of dogma that would allow the belief in 
forms that God could take. In India, they were far more imaginative in the West, and there God takes forms of all kinds of beings, not just men and women and angels and fairies and uh, celestial entities, but animals and various kinds of forms that are not even known on earth. But in this sort of bhakti, the worship goes outward, the mind goes outward into images. It goes out into an attempt to understand history as, as if history itself reveals the presence of God, which is not to say that it doesn't. But if history is mythologized, then it will be seen through a certain prism of an ideology that is located within the ego level of consciousness and will forget the fact that God consciousness is orders of magnitude beyond the human level of intelligence. But the idea of the worship of a being, whether it's an icon or a, a candle flame, as the Jews would have the ner tamid as a symbol of God above the ark of the Torah, or often the Torah itself, is worshipped as an incarnation of the sacred text, the word of God. Or whether it is the worship of some sacred talisman, a relic of the true cross, or any of the various other forms that the egoic mind can literally grasp onto, or at least figuratively, and believe it has some kind of knowledge of God that brings a kind of soothing and peace to the heart that wants to feel it is good and it is on a good path and that God is offering his grace to those who are true believers and who follow the commandments of God and who realize the necessity of living according to dharma or to the law of love. But then there is another level of bhakti, which we call para-bhakti, the supreme bhakti, which begins with the understanding that the kingdom of God is within. The kingdom of God is not of this world, but the kingdom of God is within our heart, is within our consciousness. And it is because the source of consciousness can have no form, but also can have no image of any sort and can have no mythology and can have no objective correlative. 
the realization of the kingdom of God within and of God as the self within requires only one thing. It doesn't require particular forms of behavior. It doesn't require belief systems. It doesn't require particular forms of action in the world. It requires the withdrawing of attention within to the source of consciousness. And the source of consciousness within can be attained only through the silencing of the surface levels of consciousness. Until the ego level of mind has been stilled, has been flatlined, has been eliminated as an interference pattern, the attention gets stuck in the entertaining of thoughts and the identification with the I thought, which in turn is identified with the body, that keeps one within the holographic frame of reference of this phenomenal plane and of intentions that are mundane, that are based on the possibilities of actions of the physical body and that are motivated by the bodies and the ego mind as a bodily motor on the twin motives of desire and fear. And it is between desire and fear that the ego is crucified. And because of the power of both of these drives. It is very difficult to withdraw the attention beyond the pull of the mind that wants to draw one back into a narrative, a narrative of desire or a narrative of fear or a narrative based on one's relations uh, to one's actions that have produced either remorse or guilt or shame or anxiety or depression or any of the pathologies of the ego. And in order to compensate for that, the ego mind thinks it can go into a kind of euphoric denial of its fear and enter into a kind of manic state or hypomanic state. And so the ego mind and the emotional state of the ego oscillates in this bipolarity of manic depression between desire and fear. And when it feels omnipotently able to achieve all of its desires, then it calls that happiness but it's always temporary. And then the pendulum swings back to fear. And if not fear of anything else in one's immediate space, there is always the fear of aging and death. And so long as the consciousness vibrates at the level of ego consciousness, there is suffering.
the only way out of that suffering is to rise to higher levels of consciousness. And the highest possible level of consciousness that is completely free of suffering and even free of the tendency to fall back into suffering and that has absolute knowledge of the nature of reality, of the ego, of the soul, of the entire process of the cosmos and therefore no need to enter into it to learn anything, that level of consciousness can be referred to as God. And that level of consciousness already is the source of who you think you are. It's the source of your life energy, the source of your existence. But to attain that level, to move beyond the ego, deeper within, into the soul level, the soul consciousness level being that in which we recognize that what the ego took to be an external world is actually its own dream. And nothing that happens in the world is an accident and nothing that happens in the world is harmful, but it is all a teaching and a blessing. But the blessing comes only when we learn the lesson meant by the experience that may indeed seem to be painful or confusing or ugly. But once we understand the message and have taken to heart its meaning and made the internal transformations required so that such an event of suffering does not recur, then we become free. And so the higher level of consciousness that is the soul enables us to resolve the problems that are constantly recreated by the ego. But it still remains with a tendency to fall back into an ego state, a healthier ego state, an ego state far more coherent, far more intelligent, far more capable of symbolically understanding the nature of God, but not yet with the attainment of God. There is still a separation between soul and God. But the soul at least does not identify with the physical mortal body, but with the immortal mind that is capable of understanding reality in all of its manifest ways of appearing because it knows everything is a dream and it understands the language of dreams. And this is the language of God that God gives to the soul. The ego mind doesn't have the key to that language and it speaks 
with body language and it speaks with a master's discourse of dominance using language as a weapon and a way of getting its way and a way of negotiating reality at a, a level of conflict with others and political arrangements and collusions but it does not use its capacity for understanding to attain God consciousness. So when the soul is completely purified, meaning that it has made its ego into an instrument that is obedient to the will of God and does indeed follow the commandments and the way of the Dharma, so that life becomes free of glitches, free of the kinds of self-created difficulties produced by projections. Once that has been completed and the final level of purification has been attained, which is the state that is referred to as vairagya, which means that one has lost all interest in learning from the book of nature or the book of the ego or the book of the world as it is presented as an appearance or even from the symbolic mind of the soul itself. Then the soul's final act is the letting go of the tendency to hold on to impressions. It has no interest in retaining impressions from the past because there is a recognition that the past is an illusion. All that is real is the present. And once there are no more impressions being gathered and archived by the mind in order to be used later for various purposes of either aha, I gotcha, or of uh, other kinds of uh, strategic ways of functioning in relation to others as a defensive mechanism, once the need to hold on to impressions is gone because there is no longer an ego to need to defend and the soul has no need to learn from the world or its own dream, then by eliminating the desire to receive impressions or thoughts, the mind gradually reaches that still point in which there is silence. And this allows the transcendence of the soul into God consciousness, into the absolute present that is beyond time and space. And once the attention is able to abide consistently within the supreme presence of the blissful self, regardless of what the body is doing, regardless of what kind of activity may require 
pragmatic thinking and acting at a level of the apparent ego, but which is actually now simply a spontaneous emanation of the intelligence of that Supreme Being. Once all of that has been resolved, the consciousness remains abiding eternally in the supernal light of the Supreme Presence, the infinite intelligence, the blissful love of the Lord of the cosmos. And it is this that signifies graduation from this school that the world is and a reabsorption into that source of infinite creative power that emanates universes as its mere thoughts. but which remains forever in that supreme presence that has no form and no objective content, but a level of self-knowledge unimaginable to the ego mind, blissful self-knowledge. Those sages who have reached the attainment of God in life have revealed the, the truth that everyone will discover on their own journey if they take it far enough, which is that God, being infinite, can never completely be contained within the level of consciousness that functions on the phenomenal plane or has any kind of either ego or soul vehicle. If the soul vehicle is suddenly filled with the presence of God, the amount of, of intense bliss that will be felt will be so powerful that one would die. One would not come back into the body. One would never leave that presence of God. And there are cases where such sages will leave the body. When that presence in the body becomes very powerful, in fact, it can produce combustion of the body. It can produce the phenomenon known as the rainbow body. But none of that is necessary because God consciousness is entirely in a different dimension, in a different order of reality than the body and has nothing to do with the individual who is seeking God. It is the death of the illusion of that individual that brings that power into full emergence. 
whether the individual is in ego, body, mind, or soul. Neither vehicle can fully contain the infinity of infinities of knowledge, of love, of power that is God. And so, the more that we wish to reach that power and return to God, the more humble we must be, the more surrendered we must be, and realize that God cannot be reached with the mind because the mind is the obstacle. And it cannot be reached with desire even though the desire for God can overcome other mundane desires, but even that must be left behind. And finally, the worship of God, the love of God, must be silently felt as union. That union will lift the consciousness out of the body. But if one is graced with even a fraction of God's presence, the amount of bliss and light and power that will be bestowed can be sufficient to entirely wipe out all the remaining sanskaras, all the remaining tendencies to be an incarnated human being. And thus, after such an experience of realization of God, the state of vairagya, or dispassion, and disinterest in anything in the phenomenal plane, becomes the natural outcome. And this means that the being who has attained that realization, if it has reached that realization to the level of burning the seeds of sanskaras, tendencies, including tendencies to hold on to impressions or to desire impressions, which is what the internet is about and movies are about and all of the various seductions of commercialization are about. If one is immune to that, then there is a complete freedom while alive in the world because one wants nothing from the world. One has no interest in anything that the world can offer once you have been given what God can offer. But that means you must love God with all your heart, your soul, your might, your consciousness. And in the realization of God within, the final gift is that union in which the realization is given to those who have made their being pure enough, sacred enough, enough as to function as a holy temple in the world. They are given the realization of God as the self. Very few beings have ever attained this in life, and they are generally worshipped as saints and sages, 
and founders of religions or legendarily remembered as avatars. But we are living in a very special time now. It's the end of an age of Kali Yuga. The Jews say it is the time of the Mashiach, the coming of the Messiah. The Muslims say it's the coming of the final Imam or the coming of, uh, of Allah to create the next world. Or it's the coming of Maitreya or the coming of Kalki or the coming of whoever is the figure that is worshipped by that particular spiritual lineage. But the names are unimportant since God is nameless. But what is important now is that that supreme power has chosen to reveal the supreme presence to whomever truly desires to be realized, to know God directly. But even to wish to know God directly and to make that one's highest priority in life is a very rare attainment because the ego is generally too busy with its more petty concerns and with its identity as a body and its attachment to other bodies that it feels owe it something or belong to its family or its nation, or its religion, or its culture, and cannot transcend the mundane level of consciousness to realize God, who is mother and father of all beings, and for whom there is no religion except that of love. And love means nonviolence. So people can use the word love but that word itself has been degraded through the hypocritical activity of those who would use it in the name of possession and dominance and power and crusades and forms of destruction. But the nonviolence that we need must begin within we must stop being violent toward ourselves. We must eliminate the violent voices that judge us in our own minds. We must eliminate the voices that create shame and guilt and fear and that egg us on to desires that are not in alignment with the will of God. And so the process of achieving the realization of God can be direct, but there is work to be done before one is generally able to achieve the abidance without being forced out of God consciousness by the pull of the ego mind toward other desires toward contrary intentions. But if the heart is entirely in love with God, 
that love will act as a magnetic power to bring one to God. And because in the earlier ages that purification was much more possible and easy to achieve than in the postmodern West, because the ego had not yet developed to its current state of narcissism and psychopathology. It was more easy to purify and to feel the love for God and to feel the presence of God in everyone. That sacred sense of the nature of the world as a manifestation of God has been lost through scientific theories that have changed the belief from that of God's presence and grace to one of random chance and one of social Darwinism. And so it is these obscuring ideas and beliefs and tendencies and fears of the unknown and of the infinite that are the obstacles in the direct realization of God. But this brings us to the discourse of non-duality. And this discourse claims that you are already that. You are already God. You are simply ignorant of that fact. You have forgotten it. You have distracted yourself from that knowledge. You have pulled yourself toward other fantasies. But nonetheless, who you really are, when all of that is let go of, is already God. And this discourse of non-duality makes the achievement of God consciousness more direct because you don't need to go through the ego and the soul and work through all of that. But your love for God must be strong enough to pull you directly into the inner light. And there must be no repellent tendencies that want to, or are afraid of the light, or want to leave the light to go back into a material context. But once the realization of the bliss of God's presence is known directly, and the love for that is so strong, it will overcome any contrary tendency. And then the power of God naturally flows through the mind and the body and creates an aura an auric field of light. You know the word aura and oro, gold in Spanish, they come from the same. It's gold and white light that emanates from God. And it's gold and white light that the world itself is made of. That's Brahman. This is the unified quantum field but a field of pure divine love and intelligence. And all of us are made of that stuff that is divine light.
that is the direct energy of God. We are made of nothing else but God. Every atom vibrates with the presence of God. Can you feel that vibration? It is to cultivate a capacity to sense the vibrational presence of God consciousness that is gained through meditation, that enables the ever-increasing subtlety of the mind to the point that the attention, the buddhi, the intellect that governs the mind gains total mastery over the mind and directs its attention entirely toward God in an act of total surrender. And the buddhi is filled with God's presence. This is what the Buddhists call the Buddha nature. This is the ultimate reality. There is no obstacle to this attainment except the belief that you are not that. The belief that you have to make a lot of effort to get to that. If you believe you're the ego, then of course you do have to make that effort. Because consciousness is so powerful that whatever it believes will become its reality. But if you can let go of the belief instantly that you are the ego, or that you are anything by realizing that when you look into yourself, what do you see? There's nothing. There is simply awareness that has no form. It's empty. This is why the Buddhists say that emptiness is the basis of all reality. And the womb of compassion, the womb of love, because it's out of that emptiness, egolessness, that then the fullness of supreme love can now fill that space of consciousness with the golden light of supreme blissful love. Very few beings are interested in God-realization. Most are more interested in a romantic fling or making money or having some prestige or some other social or political kind of power. Very few are interested in God. Very few can even conceive of achieving God-realization. And yet this is our nature. We are designed for this. It is our destiny. We are specifically created as those beings on this planet who are capable of direct realization of God. And that's why our brains have been designed the way they are. And that's why we have the capacity to create languages and symbolic modes of thought of total abstraction like mathematics and physics. Our intelligence is geared to understand, even if it cannot totally reach it can understand the intelligence of God that is in dialogue 
with one's real self. There is a constant dialogue happening between you and God if there is still a you separate from God that is being given in order to grant you the knowledge necessary to attain God consciousness in the most accelerated way possible. And anyone who meditates will realize if their mind is quiet enough that they are receiving insights, inspirations. Where are they coming from? Isn't that God speaking to you? Artists will receive uh, inspirations to draw certain kinds of pictures. Composers will create symphonies based on what they are receiving from God. It's a constant dialogue. But a sage who remains abiding in God consciousness receives more inspirations per minute than most people achieve in a lifetime because they're not paying attention to God's voice speaking in the silence of the heart. But it is on offer to anyone who wishes to know and to feel the soothing, healing love of God that also grants the nectar of immortality. Because although the bodies are mortal, the self is not. And it is that eternal light of the self that becomes lit in such a way that it will never be put out. Because it is the light of God. But to reach it, one must sacrifice the belief that that is, one is anything but God. The belief in the ego, the interest in the ego in its world, the interest even in the symbolic intelligence of the soul, all of it is finally left behind because such a treasure, infinitely greater than either ego or soul can provide, is here for the asking, for the receiving. And all it requires is silence and willingness to pay attention to God within your heart. Nothing more. No techniques, no tricks, no drugs, no special prayers, no mantras, no music, nothing is necessary. So let's do it. Sit comfortably, if you wish, with the back straight. It's easier if you close the eyes so you can turn the attention within more completely. And to begin, take a few deep breaths and breathe away any stress 
any tension, any negativity that you might be feeling in the body. Breathe it out and breathe in peace and serenity. And as you let go of stress with the breathing, then let the breathing become normal again and natural. But scan the body and see if there are any areas of tightness, if there are any knots in the stomach or any tension in the shoulders or in the jaw or anywhere in the back or anywhere in the body and give permission for all contraction to be released. When you release contraction, you're releasing fear. Feel the body letting go of fear and feeling peaceful. And really know what it feels like to be at peace in your body and at peace with your body and at peace with your life. The less contraction there is, then the more expansion there is and the more sense of spaciousness in the body and in the perceptive field. And the more the heart is able to open and to let go of any shields or defenses that have been placed around the heart. The more openness, receptivity, and presence there can be. You may notice that the heart rate slows down and the breathing slows down as all of this happens because you're giving the body the message now that you are entering into higher states of consciousness. And you simply don't want the organism to disturb your inner peace. And now give the mind the command to stop producing thoughts. And even if the mind doesn't obey you, don't entertain the thoughts. Don't pay attention. Don't be distracted. Let the thoughts arise and disappear without at all affecting one's state of presence and stability. And as the thoughts begin to lessen 
and you can experience or imperience the silent mind. Your attention can become aware that the silence contains energy, but not an ordinary kind of energy. And it's different from the pranic energy that flows through the body as a kind of electromagnetic pulse and current. The physical body has its pranic flow that keeps the cells alive. But at the soul level, there is a different, higher level of energy, shakti. the divine energy, divine love. And this energy that appears in the silence this energy that seems to come from the source of the sense of I the source of the I am-ness. Allow your attention to trace back the energy to its source, to the source of the I. and enter into the stillness of pure presence beyond thought, beyond emotion, beyond image. The silent, still point of pure presence. free of desire or fear, the immovable point. And hold to this point of light until the mind is completely cleared of all thought and all tendency to be pulled away.
and gradually the point of presence will feel an augmentation of energy, power, a greater presence. the Supreme Presence. Surrender to this Supreme Presence and allow the attention to be absorbed into it into the self. Feel the presence of the purifying energy of God, the power of God, the love of God, fully entering the space of consciousness. Filling the heart.
Welcome the blissful self. God is your Supreme Self. Let the mind die into God. be reborn Bring the energy of divine love into the body. Feel God's love for the body, for the body's health, and for the health and the virtue, the goodness, the intelligence, truthfulness, the power of discernment of the mind and the intellect. Be filled with God's truth and God's beauty, God's love and God's wisdom. And be always vibrating physically, mentally, spiritually as the embodiment of God's presence.
and know that this presence is constantly forever with you, in you, and emanating from you. Om Shanti 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 You can open your eyes when you're ready and discover that you can remain in God consciousness. So we'll open the floor for a few minutes in case anyone has any questions about all this. Don't be shy, especially visitors. No question is too elementary. has no form. The world is form, and the world is a creation of God. It's in God's mind, but God is not God's mind. Okay? You have to make the distinction. God creates form, but God is not form. Now, God's energy pervades those forms. Yes, they vibrate with God's presence, God's consciousness, but God the ultimate Godhead, to use a religious term, is, is beyond all form. But the world indeed is in God's mind and vibrates with the energy of God. Although the ego, because it steps down the vibrational level, can't feel that. It can only feel the ego's own projected world superimposed upon God's world and then feels like, oh, it's full of evil and dangers and all of this, and no longer feels the divine presence. Satya. Based on your teaching, like, like the way that I would say, like, that I want to expedite liberation, it's almost like to just m meditate more, be more in the present. Mm -hmm. Is that the way, the only way? Yes. <laughs> now, as long as there's an ego there, it's also important to live a life of virtue and detachment and non-desire um, non for another on the physical plane because you will create karma. And that karma will hold you down into body consciousness because any relationship you have with another ego will project into you that you are an ego and a bodily being and you'll be treated as such. 
And by agreeing to that level of relationality, you agree to remain mired in ego consciousness in order to carry out that relationship. So uh, it's not in your interests to do that. It's in your interest to relate only to God, but then to see everyone as manifestations of God, but without either desire or fear or, or wanting anything from them. And so then you don't create karma and you become an ever more purified vehicle of the Supreme Presence. So the, the taking care of, of business by, by living according to the Dharma uh, solves the, the karmic knots. And, uh, and then the, uh, the level of the soul can be dealt with very easily because you do see the world as simply uh, externalized projections of facets of your own mind, superego figures or fantasy objects of desire that were in your mind projected outward. And once you have uh, dissolved those through meditation, through giving your, yourself to God in love, those will dissolve from the soul and the soul itself will dissolve as an unnecessary vehicle and then there will be simply the direct presence. Okay. Yes. Um, is the booming environmental catastrophe a blessing? And if so, um, do you think that the humanity will have still time to apply the lessons learned? Say that last part again. If, uh, if so, do you think that humanity will still have time? Is there still a window of opportunity to learn from that and apply it? Of course. That's why we're doing what we're doing now. So Can these... Can you elaborate on that? What's that? Can you elaborate on that? How... Well, there is awakening happening on the planet. There is a a realization of the urgency and the danger that the planet is in that's been created by human malfeasance. Uh, but most people are still in denial of it. And so the problem is that the ego doesn't want to know the real nature of the situation that the world is in. And it wants to believe the mainstream media that feed it lies, that make it uh, forget the real nature and want to just consume and, uh, and live as, as petty uh, believers in, uh, in the ideology that's dominant and not think clearly. But those who wish to awaken will be able to awaken in time. It's only a matter of what do you want. If that's what you want, you will awaken. And so those who will awaken will be prepared and will go through the eye of the needle and, uh, and be on the other side of an ending, a uh, collapse and death of one civilization and will be part of the rebirth of the next. So this has happened many times. It's nothing uh, out of the ordinary. But uh, everything has a lifespan, including civilizations and planets. But because God is eternal, we can have faith that there will be rebirth and a return to a new Garden of Eden, a new 
beautiful world that will be created through the power of God's mind as this one was created originally. And then egos coming into play because of free will. Uh, the, the God conscious vibrational frequency was lost and the world deteriorated and has become the hell realm that it is today. But that is now changing. The vibrational frequency of a few is rising to higher levels, but that will have a morphogenetic impact upon the entire field. And those who wish to get it will get it very fast because once the field is opened, uh, those, the pioneers have to struggle to get it. The ones who come later will get it more easily because they will receive the blessing of the emanations of those who've gotten it. But there will be ever increasing numbers who recognize and are able to act from that level of God consciousness and who will, will be able to uh, have the power to, to co-create the, the next uh, social organization and uh, the next uh, the next world that will be brought into being through miraculous power that, that only God could do. But from that level of God consciousness, those powers will also be offered and beings who are uncorruptible will be able to co-create and, and be part of that process. And so it's a, it's a moment of graduation from the human level to the divine level. So yes, it's all in God's hands and God knows exactly how it's going to happen and those who want to be part of it will, will be. It's, there's no chosen people. You're, it's self-chosen. If you wish to have that gift, it will be given. But you have to want it in exchange for everything else you might have wanted. Yes. Before we, the internet went out, we had a number of questions that came in. Uh huh. And um, I don't know how much time we have for all of them, but perhaps I can go through one or Do a few. So the first one comes from Billy, and he says In childhood trauma, we have a splitting of mind in order to cope with intense fear of non being. Could you speak more of this splitting of mind and also of annihilation or non being? and why the child and ego mind is so afraid of it. I don't think the child mind is afraid of non-being. <clears throat> no, I don't think so at all. In fact, I, I think that non-being is actually its backstop because it still remembers non-being before its most recent uh, incarnation. But what I think it's afraid of is death, abandonment. And, uh, and the pain of uh, the terror of being unable to, to function because children, uh, infants especially, are completely helpless. So the, uh, the splitting of mind is done as a defense. What one splits is the part of the mind that contains the terror is split off and repressed so that the mind that is in denial of that terror can still function and be able to become adapted to society and continue to grow. But that mind, because the, the, it is still affected, even though it doesn't know it, 
by these subconscious terrors will have to choose some compensation in order to, to keep those terrors from uh, infiltrating and invading its space. And it will often use addictive processes to do that so that it stays above the waterline. But uh, this process of splitting or dissociation is probably now the main uh, form of uh, defense that the ego uses uh, to deal with its many traumas. And, and the numbers of childhood traumas have increased tremendously because family systems have become more and more unhealthy. There are more divorces when children are young, which creates a terrible trauma and causes splitting of consciousness indeed. And uh, of uh, abusive parents or sexual abuse or bullying in schools or all of the too many to list kinds of traumas that children face today. And even just simply the lack of attention from parents who are too busy working and, uh, and when they come home watching TV or drinking beer or whatever, but not, and probably arguing with each other. So the child uh, is not getting enough attention, which leads to it having an attention deficit disorder because if you don't get attention, you're not going to have attention to give to anything. So the, the level of the, the um, capacity of the ego mind to function coherently is less and less. And the more splitting there is, of course, the less and less willpower is left because the, the power is distributed among all these split-off fragments. And thus uh, the... Uh, the fragment that seems to be what one identifies with as oneself gradually becomes unstable and can't hold it. And then these other repressed fragments can kick it out of place and they will take over for a time. This can create multiple personality disorder or just a, a sense of chaos in the mind. At one moment you want one thing and in the next moment you want something totally different. And, and there's, you're, in, you're in a kind of paralysis in life be, because you, you can't figure out anything that you really want because different fragments don't get together. There can't be resolution of internal conflicts. So yes, all of this uh, is endemic to the uh, current uh, psychological collective situation. But I don't think it's non-being. In fact, non-being is the solution to the problem. Uh, non-being is also non-suffering. But often what the, the, the pseudo-form of non-being would be nihilism. And the ego will choose a very nihilistic attitude toward the world and life and say, the hell with it, I don't care what happens. And, and they will become very antisocial. But uh, that, of course, has nothing to do with non-being. That's just simply uh, a psychopathic uh, mindset. So the, the issue of non-being is, is actually one that is offered by sages as the resolution of suffering, the emptiness. This is what Buddhism offers. This is what, what every religion ultimately offers. Even the, the esoteric Western religions, the via negativa of mystical Christianity, is about 
loving a God who is completely non-describable, without form, without, uh, without anything uh, within the presence of being to hold on to. God is beyond being. So beyond being is non-being, but it is also that which is beyond non-being. But you have to pass through non-being to discover the supreme being. And that's the, the resolution of all traumas and whatever splits happen will always, at that point of the reaching of the ultimate presence, unite them all and dissolve them into God consciousness. If there's one more important question, ask it before we adjourn. Yes, this question comes from Carolyn. And she says, how would you explain predestiny? <laughs> Predestination or predestiny is not actually accurate. Uh, but if you uh, combine it with an understanding of teleology and with an understanding of eternity, then you recognize that all of time is present here and now at the level of God consciousness. There's no past or future. All of time is present as a single whole. Uh, and that that entirety of time means that whatever apparent causation has brought about uh, certain situations to emerge at any different moment, any particular moment of time, uh, will be part of the entirety of the intelligence that makes up the fullness of time. From the, the, the perspective of eternity, the world of, of space and time is a work of art within the mind of God. And that mind has predestined the highest possible outcome for every being within the construct of that cosmos. At any given moment of time, because we can say that time is a circle and there is no originating point of a circle, any point is the first point. Therefore, at any moment, even though everything is already apparently set, you also have absolute freedom of will at every moment to change things, to do something unprecedented or unexpected by yourself. And yet, that difference that you think alters destiny is actually part of the destiny if you see it from God consciousness. It was always already written. And the more we are detached from being within the plane of time and we witness it from God consciousness, the more that is clear. And therefore, everything is perfect. There's no need to intervene. All will happen according to the will of God. And according to the will of God, it's time for us to adjourn this evening. I hope this has been useful to everyone. Thank you all for participating and for 
generating these beautiful vibrational frequencies of devotion and love and God consciousness. Namaste. Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti podcast. For more information on programs and retreats, click on the calendar section of our website, www.satyoga.org. Our work is made possible by the generous support of our listeners, viewers, and members. To make a donation, please visit the donate page of our website. We thank you for your support in our mission to share this timeless wisdom with the world. Namaste.